Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Here we stand in a very unique place. Um, it's between Christmas and New Year's. You are in a stupor. And uh, we essentially are kind of standing here at a lookout point. Uh, the picture you see on the screen was actually a picture I had taken uh, uh, here this fall when we had, Karen and I had stopped at the Grand Canyon. And um, I'm going to call it, we're standing at a lookout point. Uh, lookout points are unique places to be. They're, they're kind of places where you can look back, but you can also look ahead. When you look back, you see the terrain that you've covered uh, some of it's awesome terrain, and some of it was awful terrain. Uh, much of it you actually forget what you've covered, but much of it you do remember. And you can kind of look back. We had a number of those times on our sabbatical here this fall, points where we could look back, see where we've just covered over to get where we're at. And, and uh, also you then stand there and you're able to look ahead. You're able to see out front uh, to some new and unfamiliar terrain, and uh, frankly, some of it seems absolutely delightful, and some of it can seem absolutely daunting as you stand there and look at it. And the fact is, we can't see the details. We can maybe just see the horizon and some things uh, in between, but much of it we can't see. And uh, we really can't change what's occurred on the trail that's behind us, and we also can't determine what's coming ahead of us, uh, but we can choose, we can choose how we think about entering the terrain that we're about to go into. Uh, we can choose how we're going to think about it, how we are going to think about what's even come behind us and what's even out in front of us. And today, at this unique lookout point, I kind of want to grab a hold of that, and I want for us to refuel our thinking and uh, mainly refuel our thinking about what's coming ahead uh, in each of our lives and even as a church family. So with that, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, because that's what I want to be our central text for today as we are uh, just really getting started in a series through the book of Matthew. Uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 2, uh, first book of the New Testament, the second chapter of that first book, um, two statements and a passage that I want to read for you. Uh, two statements in a passage. Here's the two statements. I'm going to kind of have these put up dimly. You're not going to be able to see these. will be on the center screen. I think you'll be able to see them, but they'll be a bit dim here. First one is the gospel is the answer. Uh, the gospel is the answer. Can you barely see that? Good. I'm glad that you can barely see it right now. Um, I mean that sincerely. Uh, the gospel is the answer. The second statement is the gospel is a threat. The gospel is a threat. Um, right now, those don't quite make sense. They don't have a context to them in which to wrap them around, but I just want to put those out before us vaguely, and then we'll, we'll, I think we'll see from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, those are the two statements. Now, let me read a passage. Just listen as I read the first six verses of Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He who sits in the heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So, Lord, just kind of with some of those things uh, vaguely in front of us, I pray as we dive into your, God's, into your word that you would show us more of who you are and what you are up to and how you have it all figured out. We stand at a lookout point. We've passed through this past year and we're about to enter a new year. You've been at work throughout this past year, that's for sure, in various ways and Some of them, as we've talked about, have been delightful. Some of them have been daunting and heavy. Lord, here we are standing at this point. We realize we are very broken people. And we live in a very broken world. That means we have limited visibility. We have limited capability. But the fact is you have full visibility and you have full capability. And we don't need an idea of you. We need you. And we need you not to fulfill our goals and personal desires, but we need you so that we can fulfill your goals and your desires and plans for your glory. So here we stand. And I ask that you would just show more of you to us. Draw us to yourself. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 2, right? Let me set the context quickly if you're just joining us. Matthew chapter 1, we've covered over the last few Sundays. First 17 verses are really about a royal lineage. Uh, The one that is born comes from a human royal lineage, the line of David, the covenant line of Abraham. Uh, This is the one that is uh, coming uh, to be born. Then in verses 18 through 25, we find out that not only is Jesus come from a royal human lineage, but he comes from a divine lineage. We see laid out there in that passage just how this was no human Uh, endeavor. This was no human happening. This was no human concoction. This was a divine thing. There would be no story if the divine had not stepped in and made this a story. There is no story if God did not make this story. And uh, it's a divine lineage. And then here we are in chapter two, and we're going to see here, worship ensues and chaos ensues. Uh, The baby's born, um, and he is seen as an answer, and he's seen as the threat. Let's, let's take a look. Uh, I've laid out four characters uh, I see in this text, uh, four character groups in Matthew chapter 2 here. I've got them up on the side screen. There's the Magi, there's Joseph, there's Herod, and the people, uh, those four groups. Let's begin with the Magi, verses 1 through 12, and um, let me begin with verses 1 and 2. Now, 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. By the way, there's so many things we could talk about, even just in that sentence right there. I just don't have the time today. We're getting big picture view. But Jesus is born. Matthew doesn't spend any time with the manger, any time with any of those uh, wonderful, sweet, beautiful scene details. He just gets at it, and he reminds us here, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, that's like perk your ears up, behold, Wise men, by the way, how many does it say came? Doesn't, interesting. You mean there's no three wise men? Oh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Let's hold right there. The magi, uh, these wise men. Uh, Nothing is said about three of them, so sorry for ruining that Christmas song. Uh, And by the way, to add to the ruining of that Christmas song, they're likely not even kings. Um, I would ask you even to my picture in your mind just to kind of blow your mind and help you read through this. Maybe picture there's more like five or six of them. Oh, and by the way, they would have an entourage with them. This is probably a group coming into Jerusalem of 12 to 20 people. This is no little tiny uh, thing with, with talking camels and such. Uh, it's real people with it. And know this, though. These are very high-ranking officials. And I'm going to say it this way. These are knowledgeable, knowledgeable men. These are PhD types. They likely come from a priestly caste of Eastern astrologers who are known for seeking supernatural powers. By the way, I love that. And I know a lot of the commentaries talk about how they seek magic and, you know, in that whole text. But I got to tell you, there is something built within the heart of mankind that we are looking for something bigger than ourselves. And I love the fact that these guys are looking for something bigger than themselves. And they're searching for what's going on. Um, they're from the east. Uh, Bailey Keener, I think that's more like they're probably Persian, others or thing in Babylonian, Arabian, I don't even think that's the point here. I will say this, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. And as we build out Matthew, and as, as we expose more of who Matthew is writing to and what's really going on, I am telling you, uh, a Jewish particularly leader at the time, as we'll see here in a little bit, reading this fact about Gentiles coming to seek out the Christ was just an irritation to them. He's born, and Gentiles are already seeking after him, by the way. I think that's so cool. They're Gentiles. They came to the capital city, Jerusalem, uh, which makes sense. Uh, Well, you're like, yeah, they were following the star. By the way, note it says his star. Uh, There's so much we could talk about that. Back in that day, they would oftentimes tie a star to leaders, but there's something different about this star that's going on with it. And they come with the knowledge that he's been born king of the Jews. By the way, I think coming into Jerusalem is the smart thing to be doing. Yes, they're following the star, and I don't know how all that works out. But they're coming to Jerusalem, and because they're coming into Jerusalem, because that's the capital city. If you're wanting to find something out about what's going on, you come into the capital city where probably most of the knowledge is there. And so this entourage is coming into the capital city with it. And they're asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? By the way, it does not say, where is he who will be king of the Jews? It is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That is a crazy big deal, friends. Because the little baby in the manger will not become something. He is something. 
And he has been born king. And somehow, we don't know the details how, they got all this knowledge of what was going on, but God was drawing them, giving them this information, moving them along. We don't even know, as we read through this, I'm ahead of myself, but we don't even know their theology of what's really going on. We don't know the details of what they're thinking in specifics. We don't know that, but we just know this. They have this understanding that There is one that has been born king of the Jews, and they're following that star to it. I love the innocence of that. Oh, I'm so far ahead of myself. Hold on. Let me just read the rest of the text. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. By the way, and this is a key part, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem with him. When they came into Jerusalem, they did not fast pass it right to Herod. Read the text. They come in asking, where is he? I think they are actually coming into the town and asking in the town, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because by the way, it says that when Herod heard this, he was troubled. So the people are, these magi are coming in asking where is he oh and friends the town must have just been abuzz with this conversation and then Herod I think in the text is getting that we're getting this idea that he is actually hearing secondhand that they're asking when Herod the king heard this he was troubled why would he be troubled we'll fill that in and all Jerusalem is troubled why would they be troubled two possible reasons Number one, they're troubled, if you will, because they are just learning about these guys coming in and they have an understanding that the Messiah, that the Christ was be born and something is stirring up within. It also could be, and I'm thinking probably more likely because of their non-response here in a little bit, they're troubled because Herod's troubled. Don't tick the politician off because you pay the price. Let's keep going. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, all the religious leaders, the political leaders of the way it really was, and the scribes, the attorneys of all the people. He inquired of them, Herod did, where the Christ was to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Now understand, they told him, Micah 5, 2. In Bethlehem, Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Okay, they were back to the Magi. He's having a conversation with them, a secret conversation. He ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. Remember that statement. Verse 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Go, go and search diligently for this child when you have found him. Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Don't, know the, don't act like you know the rest of the story. Verse 9, and after listening to the king, they went their way, I think, thinking, yeah, we'll come back and tell you. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Hey, friends, how this whole star thing works, I have no crazy idea. But even here, we're clearly getting, this thing is moving somehow, and it moves to where it's like right over the spot. I don't know if this is like in Egypt with the Shekinah glory of God moving before. 
something's happening here, and it is crazy cool. Everybody say crazy cool. All right, pulling you out of your stupor. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. By the way, we'll see that statement a number of times. And they fell down and they worshiped him. By the way, I don't even fully know what that looked like, what that meant, what was going on in their hearts and minds at that point in time. We'll just take it as it's stated. They worship him. They gave him homage. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's true. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what's going on with these guys? These very wise, studied men of literature and things from, frankly, probably around the world and even in Jewish reality of things. These are guys who think and dig in and talk and pursue They're pursuing something bigger than themselves. And I'll just put it this way. It's a genuine pursuit. We see everything here with the Magi here, that there is a genuine pursuit for the divine. And I love that. They don't know the name. They don't know what. They just know this. We're going there, wherever that thing takes us. And we're going to let it unfold. Sometimes knowing too much of the story almost becomes a curse for us and we lose the creativity of understanding what's really going on in it with these men. What's happening in all this? There's just such a a sweet innocence about them. It's kind of like there's an answer in this and I will seek after you. It's just a genuine, sweet innocence of pursuit of this king. We saw, and so we have come to worship. It's just so simple. The gospel is so simple. We say that again. The gospel is so simple. And then Joseph, verse 13 to 15, this is cool. Matthew has been keying in on Joseph, verse 13. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is the second time. First one happened in Matthew 1. And the angel said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. Not uncommon to travel by night, but not also norm, if you will. And departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. For those of you who are really interested in the use of the Old Testament and New Testament, no, I'm not even going there. But we see here Joseph in genuine submission. Genuine submission. I mean, you read this and it's like this. Hey, uh, take and go. And Joseph's like, okay. We don't read of any pushback. We don't read of any, are you kidding? Like, serious? No, but, 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 no, wise, no. How are we going to do that? Like, can you give me the address so I can plug it into my GPS? Um, none of that. None, how long? No, are you sure? I mean, come on, seriously. I got a wife and a little kid now. None of that. 
Joseph has just been this submissive guy. Submission means yield to. Not my way first. Your way. You first. You first. No, no. You first. By the way, Ephesians 5 says that all of God's people should have that attitude towards one another. No, 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 not my way. You first. Here is a submissive, yielding heart of a man. You are the answer, therefore I will yield to you. Rise, take the child and his mother. And so he rose and took the child and his mother. By the way, note in verse 15, to fulfill. It's the second time in Matthew. The first time was in chapter 1, verse 27. Two more are coming here in chapter 2. Joseph. Genuine submission. And then things change. Herod. Let me read verses 16 to 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, stop. Had he been tricked? No. He hadn't been tricked. The wise men, Herod said, hey, when you find out, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship this this child. And, and, And so they had said, we'll do, something like that. Um, and so they go, and, they're, and I think the full plan was that they were going to come back, and they were going to tell Herod what was up. But what happened? You remember what happened in the text? An angel of the Lord showed up and said, don't go back to Herod. So, like, who should we fo- live by? Uh, I go by the angel, what he says. And, and so they, they leave. They didn't trick, but this is, I think, stated from where Herod's head is. Herod is this what is so often a, a political leader or a person of great power. People who end up in positions of power over people have a tendency to start getting weird in their head. We all have to watch it. And so here, Herod is in this, and he's thinking that he's been tricked. He hasn't been tricked. Let's keep reading. And so what does he do? He thinks he was tricked and he became furious. And so he sent and killed all the made children in Bethlehem. Serious? Does anybody see like a, an ethical problem right here? Is anyone feeling uncomfortable right now? You should. In fact, this is the kind of statement we should read and it should literally make our stomachs feel sick. You know, church family, I love the movie Gladiator. Yep, I'm going to bring it up again. (laughs) One of the key reasons, I mean this sincerely, one of the key reasons I love the movie Gladiator is we do not understand what it was like to live back in that day, and we think we have it bad. When people were just a piece of meat, could be used for game, When leaders had power over people's lives, that in a statement they could be taken. And I love that movie because it puts in perspective of so much of the culture of what was going on in New Testament times. And here in it, Herod gets 
ticked off, furious, and he sent and he killed all the main children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to that time that he ascertained from the wise men, going back to the verses stated earlier, verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Oh, so many things we talk about, but let me just do this. Let me kind of give you a little insight into Herod. This dude was one complex man, as one commentator said, and he was a wicked man. He had his brother-in-law murdered by having him drowned. He didn't. He had someone else do it. He had some of his own officials beaten to death. He had some of his own religious men uh, burned alive for tampering with his golden eagle. Don't, don't touch the, what would those be? The little things on the shelf in the house. Two of his sons, were, he had strangled to death. Two of his sons, he had strangled to death. In fact, it was said in the day, better to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. Oh, he had, as history says, a favorite wife. He had a favorite wife, and he had her strangled to death. You'd probably prefer to not be the favorite wife. <laughs> How does that even add up? And then, when he's about to die, he ordered that the nobles throughout the land should be executed on the day of his death, death so that there would be mourning in the streets and not celebration. And so the fact of Herod having some Jewish children killed. By the way, the population of Bethlehem and right around that surrounding area, in no way do I mean to downplay the horridness of what's taking place, but this is probably 12 to 20 children were killed. That was non-news because of who Herod was. By the way, can you imagine growing up in that area and two classes are empty of the kids in elementary school and in junior high and in high school. There are no seventh graders or sixth graders that year because they were killed years before. Herod. It's a reminder that we live in a very broken world with many who are in a very grand rage with God. Herod is a man of grand rage. We essentially said, you are a threat, and therefore I will destroy you. You are a threat to my self-reign. So he killed in a grand rage. By the way, I think while we've got that on the table, I want to take a look at the peoples. I actually go back to verses uh, 3 and 4. Uh, Herod in this sees clearly uh, the Messiah as a threat. And then we remember all Jerusalem uh, was troubled along with Herod. Already made mention that uh, the Magi come there. They come with their entourage. They're asking, where is he who's been, been born king of the Jews? And apparently no one knew. 
Let me restate this. These are God's people. Exodus. These are God's people who are to be priests to the world. And when this entourage comes into town, and they would not come into town and just be unnoticed. And when they come into town and they're asking around the city of Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Nobody knows anything from anything told to us in the text. What happened with God's people? What's happened that a Gentile would come into the capital city of Jerusalem where God's people, it should be the place where God is is poured out loudly to the world and Gentiles are coming into God's people and they don't know squat. About any kind of reply. And by the way, in it, we see nothing where there's even any kind of fervor. I mean, I would think that if people are coming in and say, we saw the star and it's brought us here, and can you tell us where the king of the Jews is? It, God has been silent for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is like one of the first times we're hearing in Jerusalem some mention of a divine work of Gentiles asking, where is the Messiah? And God's people, one more time, God's people are like, non-existent would you not even think that it might drive them to go serious like are you saying that you've seen something might the messiah be none of that it is a sad telling of what is going on in the hearts of god's people at this time And then the chief priests and scribes, verse 4, Herod pulls them together and asks where the Christ is, where the Messiah is to be born. And then they give the knowledge of it. Oh, 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 Old Testament. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And would you not think that that might spur within the chief priests and the scribes, would you not think that even them, that it would stir within them, like, might, 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 possibly, might, possibly? Right, do you see where I'm at? And we don't hear anything. I would say this, for the peoples, it is a grand complacency. Grand complacency. At the silent core of it all or at the center of it all it is just silent with God's people and I think in this you you have to make some decisions on what might be happening here but as we venture through the rest of the book of Matthew I actually think the people are more concerned about Herod now being ticked off and how it's going to mess up their situation than they actually are about anything about what God might be doing. 
And they are so, this is just, I'm going to straight on the table. This is what I think. I think this is the telling of what's happened is God's people and even God's leaders have gotten so wrapped up in their own little reigning world that something else coming in and messing up my own little reigning world, I'm just going to go complacent with it. In fact, I'm just going to ignore it because actually it becomes a threat to my reign. Friends, truth of the matter is, is you and I are self-reigning kings and queens at heart. Life should happen this way, in this time, in this manner. Christmas should happen this way with these emotions. And if it doesn't happen that way, and I don't have those emotions, then Christmas is ruined. And by the way, I didn't ruin it. You did. True? Oh, trust me. I'm really good at it myself. We are our own little reigning kings and queens. We are more like the chief priests and the scribes than we want to admit. We are more like the people that we want to admit. And I'm just going to say this and be gracious to me. I'm trying here. We're even more like Herod than we want to admit. Because when people don't do what I expect them to do, all hell is going to break loose out of me on you. And we see that happening in our world. And we see that happening in our homes. And if we're really honest about it, we see it happen in our own hearts. And we don't like hearing that. The truth of the matter is, is I don't like saying that. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. And he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. By by the way, I think in the situation for you and I, I don't think God sits there and laughs in a mocking kind of a way, like, you know, you're worthless. No, I think... The Lord sits and he understands who we are. and He understands what's going on. I think there's this idea he's not intimidated. God is going to do what God is going to do. And here we have the baby born and hell has already been unleashed. And in fact, the entire book of Matthew, as I'm titling it, the gospel turns lives inside out and upside down. And chaos already ensues around the coming of Christ. Let me lead the last verses and finish. I do want to finish hopeful, by the way. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. This is the third time now, Egypt. Man, they're kind of like having regular conversations. 
verse 20, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city named what? So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Uh, you would think that the king of all kings would be born somewhere really cool. He's actually born somewhere in Hicksville. So here we stand at a lookout point. My desire for us today is actually to be refueled. I realize some of what I've said today can be hard to take. But two things I want us to be refueled by. Number one, there is a refueling choice that's to be made as we enter into this next year. And the refueling choice is, who are you and I going to set as the one to reign over this coming years in our lives? Who is the one? You and I battle with that choice every day, every moment. And I'm just, I, I like, let's cut the baloney, let's cut the religiousness, and just here's the reality. I war every day whether I want to be king or I want my king to be the king. Every day, all the time, and so do you, right? So the fact of the matter is, is we are self-reigners. We love to do that. And yet, as we will sing here in just a minute, he is the king of all kings. And that includes you and me, king. He is the king of all kings. And we have a choice going into this year. We can make this year a year where we can reign as self-kings over our self-kingdoms and everybody in our lives is little, uh, um, what's the word? Is, is little people in our world that we reign over. And we will battle with that every day. But I would love it if we could start out the beginning of the year knowing that tendency and going this year I want the king of kings to reign over this king. There is a choice. Friends, the gospel is a threat to self-reigning kingdoms. But the gospel is also the answer to it. And when it's the answer to it, that means we are pursuing it and we are submitting to it. More of God's word in our life, more obedience in our life, more pursuing after it in our life. Not complacency. God, help us to will and to work for your good purposes. Amen? Amen. More of that. We have a choice with that. Secondly, there's a, there's a refueling and a plan. Let, let, let me finish with this. Four times in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, there's going to be 11 more times in the book of Matthew that Matthew says that Jesus fulfilled Scripture. That's a big deal. Now, why should that refuel us? Because what Matthew is saying, and every time he says, fulfilled, 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 he's essentially saying, he's proving it, it's proof, more proof, 
There's, see that? More proof. Why do I say more proof? It's more proof of the supremacy of Scripture. Keener notes, Matthew expects all his readers to understand the primacy of Scripture and the centrality of Christ's mission in Scripture. It all comes back to Scripture. It all comes back to what God has said. You see what God has said? It's happening. It's happening. You see that? That was proof that what God said will happen. Know this. What God said will happen. And the fact of history and the proof of that gives us confidence in God's word. That's why we study this. That's not why we, we are not the kind of church that just opens it up, reads a couple verses, and then let's talk what I want to talk about. Out with that. We're the kind of church where we talk about this and what it says and dig in it and let it come to life. And the reason we do that is because this is supreme, this is not. And we see here in this, the refueling in a royal plan of God's word. And along with that, I'll just say this quickly. Proof of a royal plan that God has. I've already alluded to that. Here's the thing. Every time he says this, it's like proof of that. Church, over in the past years, you've heard me talk about it, but I'm going to bring this up real quickly. There are over 300 prophecies in Scripture regarding the Messiah. Over how many? Over 300. Peter Stoner who's the former chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena Pasadena, Pasadena City (laughs) College, and then chairman of science at Westmont College, proffer emeritus at both. I'm just putting it out, all that out there, because the dude's smart, okay? He took eight prophecies. What's the odds of one person being to fulfill eight prophecies of Scripture? doing the math, one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros. That's a big number. Here's how to process that. Take 10 to the 17th silver dollars. It will fill the state of Texas two feet deep. Mark one of those silver dollars, throw it out into the state of Texas, blindfold yourself or someone else, and say you can pick any silver dollar in the two feet deep of silver dollars in Texas. And on the very first try that you go and you grab it and take the blindfold off and it's, oh, that's the marked one. That's the odds of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies of Scripture. Eight. How many are there? Oh, over 300. Yeah, sorry, I didn't set you all up well. Then he went and he said, how about 48 prophecies? The odds of fulfilling 48 prophecies prophecies is one to the 157th power. There are approximately, last time I counted, 10 to the 157th electrons in the known universe. Mark one electron in the known universe. Throw it out there. Strap yourself on a rocket. Blindfolded. Shoot yourself out anytime in the known universe Reach out, grab an electron. The odds of finding the marked one is the odds of fulfilling 48 prophecies. By the way, how many total prophecies are there? And what Matthew is doing throughout the book is telling us proof, proof. And friends, maybe you or maybe others you know Go around thinking, this is just a pipe dream. This is just a fanciful wish. And Matthew's like, look at the facts. 
Look at the facts, friends. And when those facts are on the table, it either becomes the answer or it either becomes a threat. It becomes a threat when all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm not in charge. Whoa, I'm not the king. I thought I was. And frankly, I kind of like trying to be the king. But I guess I'm not. And then the common response is either rage at that or complacency. And I just blow it off because I don't want to think deeply about it. Instead, this year, more like the Magi, more like Joseph, men and women of genuine pursuit after the one that is true. Genuine pursuit after the King of Kings. And genuine submission to him. I am not the king. You are. And that's a marvelous, marvelous truth. Lord, your birth is a real confronting of what's going on. It is holiness. It is divineness stepping into our very broken world and our very broken lives. And it confronts us. What are we going to do with this? How are we going to handle this? How are we going to think about this? God, in a text here, when the Christ comes, we are already met by some like Herod who just go into a grand rage because you become a threat to what they want to do and be. And the truth is, the gospel threatens our little self-reigns. God, I think one of the things I'm most concerned about is God's people being complacent. Heard the story before. Glad there's a God. Glad there's a Savior. And yet, when it comes down to it, a sense of just complacency. Of dullness. A lack of fervor. frankly, even a lack of desire. Father, the wonderful thing about that is what we've talked about earlier as Isaiah 55 is you say, come. You say, come. Come, everyone who is thirsty. By the way, that includes the one that has been raging and that includes the one that has been living in complacency towards you. Father, I would just ask that this text might put within those who have been, frankly, spiritually complacent just a spark of desire to want to to come to you or to return to you.
Father, if that's the case, I pray that they would come to you not with complacency, but with great fervor. That they would grab a hold of someone and tell them what's going on in their life. That they would get with someone here in this room today before they leave and ask someone, what is going on? I want to know what it is to have a relationship with Christ. I'm tired of the complacency. Spirit of God, would you do a work in people who are in that place, reminding them you love them. And you're not disgusted by them, but you call them. You welcome them. You desire that they would come unto you. And Father, for the Magi types, for the Joseph types who are or in a genuine pursuit of you and submission to you, we realize we battle every day with being self-kings and queens. And yet you love us. You came to die for us. You put up with us. And in fact, you don't just put up with us. You have provided for us ways beyond comprehension. I just ask that this year that you would increasingly be our king.